0: What's up, brother? Amen. I want to give a big thanks to uh, our sponsors Uh, today. Thank you, Schedulicity. Thank you so much for doing what you do for our industry. You give so much love. You give so much love to us. We want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. Well, uh,
1: in 2019, they changed the industry, right? They changed the industry with both Schedulicity Cares by giving away $5,000 a month to a hairdresser and
0: some barbers,
1: right? And with Schedulicity Pays.
0: Yeah. And Schedulicity Pays was huge ginormous yeah and, and it definitely definitely will save you money
1: yeah no doubt there's no doubt i mean at 1.99 percent processing fee and for 10 cents uh, a swipe i mean you do your research you can't find better
0: no and a free card reader and a free card reader that's <laughs> right
1: which is integrated right into the app right so you don't have to leave the app everything is uh, is right there for you
0: yeah and also we want to bring to the family yeah, so uh, we're also
1: excited to talk about uh, salon scales and welcome them, um, and then they give you the price, which then, in turn, you, you, uh, you, you forward to your to your uh, client. So what they're doing is they're doing labor and product. So you charge for your labor, you, know, you charge X amount you know, per, per hour, and then you're also um, charging for your product, but they kind of walk you through that. But more importantly to me is you see exactly how much product you're using. And and exactly how much product that it, that it's costing you, right? So, like, I know for instance, like, I was way undercharging like for either a gloss or, or or for a toner because I was using more product than I was actually charging for it. So, you know, for years and years and years, I've been losing money with those services. Well, now I've I've readjusted my schedule, my my pricing, so now I can I can make some more money on 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 those products.
0: Or, so. Not lose money.
1: <laughs> not lose money, exactly. I mean, literally, it's crazy when you do a gloss and now it's costing you money. You know, that that's that's just silly to it's think like about. like taking
0: your car to a mechanic and they
1: charge you for labor and not for parts. Exactly, right? you know, exactly. So now now they've given us the ability to charge for that. Um, and, and again, just for me, the, the biggest aha for me was just the awareness of, of, of what these products are actually costing me, because I had no clue before. A really, uh, another really cool thing about salon scales is that you just put in whatever product line that you're using, and and it's already preset in the uh, in the app. You just go to their website and you go, hey, I'm using this product line, that product line, this product line, and it just it automatically puts it in the app for you. So when you're uh, when you're weighing your your product, you just boop, 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 boop. and even if like like because we're independent, what do you got to do? Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> because we're independent. You know, we use, we use, it's not just one product line that we use or one color line that we use. Like I use, um, I use Schwarzkopf uh, Lightener, but I use Redken um, uh, shades and, it's, and you're able to put all those products in there so you can weigh exactly, uh, exactly what you, uh, what you want. So they're making it super easy for you. They're making it incredibly easy for you and you're saving money and you can actually make money because I think I said earlier, you can, you can set the price to whatever you want to charge for that, meaning, like if a tube of color is costing you ten dollars, you can mark it up so it's twenty dollars. So when you forward that to your client, that um little bit of a a margin there as well. It's it's so great. Um, again, just thank you very much, Salon Scales. Thank you for being on board with us, and uh, and we can't wait to see how you guys change the industry in twenty twenty.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bank slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey,
1: Hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. of course I'm sitting with my best bud, Tone. What's up, Tom? What's going on, brother? Uh, I am excited once again for this conversation. This uh, this conversation is very cool. Um, and we were talking about, and what I'm intrigued by is like the rebranding of companies, right? Yeah. Like when we were kids, we had like Champions and we had Adidas, and then they kind of disappeared for a while, and then they re Even Converse, even Converse, right? And then and then they kind of reappear and they reappear and they're they're coming in strong. They're throwing left hooks the whole way, you know? They're they're, <laughs> they're fighting their way through through the
0: crowd. Yeah. This I, I think this I mean not only for a brand but you you know you personally you know you are a brand and so if you know i'm hoping that you know if someone's struggling with inside their own personality own brand they can pull Uh maybe a couple of nuggets out of this conversation to rebrand themselves or you know she's going to hopefully have you know have advice uh that can carry on to the individual, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally looking forward to this conversation, brother. I, I am too. I'm so, so today
1: we're talking to, uh, Ann maza from, uh, from Olivia Garden. And, um, I, I, for me personally, that was kind of that brand, like, like, like about, I don't know, I guess like five years ago, like we just started to re-talk about the, the brand, which I thought kind of got lost when, when I, when we first got in the industry. And, and again, that could just be my own perception and I'm, and I'm fair and and, and I'm, I'm fair to admit that but the last 5 years i've started to i've picked up their products again and i absolutely love their brush sets i absolutely love their uh their the quality de- of the brush sets right the, the quality I mean, of the brush sets you know like I, i'm i'm notorious for burning up brushes and i keep trying to burn up these olivia garden brushes <laughs> i can't burn <laughs> them up but i'm um, the other, the other thing that they just released that really made me excited about having this conversation was um they just released a detangling brush that i'm absolutely in love with one I can detangle the hair with it, and two, I can continue to blow dry with it, and three, which I really love too, is that the actual, you know, the spongy part or the or the or the, the soft top the of cushion. it. cushion, the cushion, yeah, it actually comes off, so you can put that right into uh, your barber side, so you don't even have to you know, you don't have to put the whole brush in there, just the top of itself comes out. And then when it comes out, it's just so easy to clean. Now, this just sounds like a whole Olivia Garden uh, 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 commercial, but it's because I love these products, man, you know, right. and, and I can't, I can't, I can't wait to talk to Ann. So, let's go ahead and bring Ann in and let I her, let her, let her, her talk about the commercial, uh, talk about the product. So, Miss Ann Mazza, welcome to your day off.
3: Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. Wonderful to be here. It's funny because we started this conversation off, off, off
0: mic. It's like, you know, we don't want this to be a commercial. I and mean, then <laughs> no, we end up doing it. Corey <laughs> turns it into a commercial,
1: right? <laughs> but but well, you know what? It's not a commercial because, I,
0: as you know, it's just fandom for my part. I mean, I, 100%. Yeah, you've Yeah, been excited about this conversation for a while because every day, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to talk. I can't wait. And I'm excited, too. But you're super excited. I am. Because again, it's I just love the product.
3: Yeah, that's, 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 that's so awesome. You know, I mean, I, we, of course, here at Olivia Garden are super, you know, into our product. And we love to talk about the product. But what really is dear to my heart is when hairdressers who are using them behind the chair find that they're really helping them and that they get so excited about the product, just like we do. And We kind of realized this when um, our our social media, you know, experts were telling us, you guys have like a little bit of like a cult following, like people just love your product. And they're saying an analogy that they made is like, usually the best posts that perform on, on your social media channel is a post that has as many products of yours as possible in the image. And people go crazy. He's like, it's just it's just an odd compared to our other customers where it's not like that. So um, that's when I started to think, I'm like, this is pretty cool that people are just as passionate about the product as we are. And that's just means a ton to us because we're doing everything we're doing for hairdressers. So that the fact that it actually helps you guys behind the chair um, in all different ways is just amazing because that's what we're all about.
0: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But I think we're like 20 minutes ahead of schedule. Uh,
3: (laughs) uh, So where are you from? Where did you grow up? Of course. Yeah. So um, I am actually from Belgium. So a tiny little country in Europe. Uh, My parents uh, founded Olivia Garden there in 1967. My mom's the hairdresser. My dad was actually a school teacher who decided that even though he liked teaching, it wasn't going to be like his his passion, his mission in life. So he decided that he wanted to be an entrepreneur at 22 with no money, with no experience, with no training. But he met my mom and she was a hairdresser and esthetician in Belgium. And he saw the huge trend in wigs and hair pieces because back then uh, the ladies wouldn't spend as much time styling their hair, but in order to easily switch it, you know, of course, tools, tools, and uh, you know, products weren't as good as they are maybe today. So it was harder to change your hairstyle. Therefore, uh, they went a lot to wigs, so they could just easily pop something else on and have a completely different look. Plus, it was just in at the time, so they thought that they could make. Uh, they saw an opportunity to make high-quality wigs made out of natural hair, and so with no like nobody to take him with him or anything. My dad went to Hong Kong because at the time, China was not open to uh, do business. So every company that basically uh, did business in China, they had an office in Hong Kong because you could deal with Hong Kong, you couldn't deal with China. Direct are talking about the 60s. And he went over there and he he met a guy, they opened a factory, he opened a basically started production of uh, the wigs, and then he would uh, import them from there. So they would have like a sample of their wigs, like a board that they would actually take to salons. He would take to salons because he was a salesperson. Right. So he would show them like, I could do a bob, I could do a, you know, an updo, I can do all these different things, take the orders. And at night, my mom would go ahead and style them. And then the next day he'd go and deliver them. So this is how Olivia Garden got started with my mom, the hairdresser, oh. and my dad, the wannabe businessman that thought he had a pretty good idea. What, where, does, where, where does the name Olivia Garden come from? Well, they wanted it to be some. Uh, they wanted it to seem like it was a person, um, so a woman, so Olivia Garden is. Uh, but they also wanted a name that they. They said if one day we could be international in our business, we want to make sure it's a name that could be said in many different languages. Because, as you know, not everybody can pronounce everything, we can't pronounce some names correctly, and other people can't pronounce our names correctly. So, they wanted to make sure there was a name that people pretty much around the world could say, it kind of rolled off the tongue Olivia Garden, right? So, that's like the- a movie star, it totally. Got I know. It, yeah, they want to sound like famous, you know, and fancy and all that. So. But it was just the two of them. So, that's pretty cute. Yeah, so that's where that's where the business started. So you know, it went it went well. Belgium is time ten million people. It's a tiny little country. My dad, you know, quickly knew the stylists as he would drive around and and make the sales call. My mom still worked in the salon because she was the only one with a steady income. And then at night would have to style, you know, the wigs that my dad sold throughout the day so that he could deliver them quickly. And so that's how they started their business. And then over here, over time in the seventies, the wigs actually went out of fashion. So at that time they had to somewhat reinvent themselves the good thing is they had all the connections so they knew all the stylists and they had given them great service over the years so then it was easy for them to just transfer into a different product category still in the salon so they were still like learning trying to figure things out so they actually got an opportunity to sell Clairol in Belgium They didn't have distribution. So my dad picked up the distribution for Clairol. And again, he had all the connections. So it was easy to make the sales. And then after a while, he realized that he really wanted to be the master of his own destiny because he realized quickly that, you know, if they take that contract away from you, you've got nothing, right? If that's all you're selling. So then he decided to start making his own. So he actually started making his own liquid product in Belgium because that's what he was now familiar with. And then he, he sold that like styling products and things like that, no color. And, uh, had uh, several innovation like the first non aerosol hairspray in 1973 and some really cool things. He was really my dad. My dad is really very much of a thinker and always thinking about what the future has in store and what uh-huh. would be next. Very, uh, visionary. And so, he did that and then realized that, you know, he really wanted to get into tools because they, um, so they got into salon tools and then they started export. Obviously, their, their company grew, you know, sales team and everything. And then they started growing throughout all of Europe because Belgium is 10 million people. Once you've kind of saturated the market, you move on to, to outside, you know, France, Germany, Holland, all the countries around you, Luxembourg. So then they started expanding into these different countries and still with their product line. And then in the eighties, like early eighties, my dad started having his eye on America, right? Because that was the next big frontier is, and this was pre-internet, pre cell phone, (laughs) pre computers, pre any of that, where, you know, it was kind of the unknown. You, he would travel to America and, you know, see what it was like, but it wasn't like now when you want to move a business, you know, it's just so different. So anyways, in 1985, um, we were ready to move. So my dad put everything, you know, in in place in Belgium so that the, the company would run, continue to run. And then we, And by then, they had us, so I was 12 years old, my brother was 14, and so the four of us moved to the United States, to Northern California, to open up a branch of Olivia Garden in the United States, so come to Uh a country where with our hair curlers. So, at the time, my dad had invented uh, hair curlers. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, sorry.
1: (laughs) Right? So, I I mean, let's go back a little bit. You're a 12-year-old girl, and you're moving to, you know, the U.S. I mean, what was... I mean, you know, you don't, at 12 years old, you don't usually have the same dreams and uh, and ambitions as your father. How was that, like, how was that, like, yeah. emotionally for you? Or how was that move? And, and I mean, we know you're all in now, but what what was it right. like as a 12 year old girl?
3: So, you know, uh, obviously my father, his personality has always been, he's extremely confident that he knows he's doing the right thing. And I think that even if he doubted himself, he definitely would have shown it to us. Because, you know, it's a huge move to move. You're very successful. I mean, in Belgium, we had a good life, right? It was, everything was like worked out. So we could have just stayed there. But to say, let's start from scratch again in America, you know, that took a lot of determination and and confidence. So, you know, seeing him, when he said we're doing it and it's just good for us, we Mm -hmm. we just believed him, right? But in terms of how I felt, um, I thought it wasn't going to like, I thought we were going there for a while, but then we'll come back to Belgium. So, you know, I didn't really realize uh, the, that we, that was going to be for the rest of our lives. You know, I thought maybe we'll go there for a few years, you know, get things set up and then come back. Um, Of course. uh, And, you know, but on the other hand, you know, they say, we go, we go, you know, that's, right. that's just, that's just kind of how our family structure was. My mom was really, it was really hard for her. She was 50 years old and she, you know, was wow. well-established in the community. And like uh, she worked for the company, of course. And, uh, you know, was just good where she was at. She didn't speak a word of English. <laughs> she, uh, you know, she didn't know the culture here. We didn't know the culture here either. So, you know, it was, it turned out to be quite an adventure, yeah sure um the first few years were very were hard Were very hard you know when you when you move um you find out real quick that you don't have any credit history <laughs> so oh when you come to america nobody wants to lend you money nobody sure. wants to rent you a house nobody wants to because of course they don't know who you are they, they don't know you know they they can't really easily even check on your references in Europe because it just back then there was just no convenience. Like most people couldn't even make long, long distance calls. You know, there were multiple dollars a minute. It was just, it was a different world back then. So it was really hard when-
1: Did did your mom do hair in Belgium before you left or was she, or was she a hundred percent in, um, with Olivia garden at that time or was she still Uh, seeing clients and stuff?
3: no no she had stopped the time we had other people like other stylists that you know worked at olivia garden but she was not only working in the company but she was also helping raise us so she just sure. didn't have time to to be in the salon mm-hmm. at the same time so um so when we moved here you know it was it was uh it was harder i think than what we anticipated at least uh, i anticipated but, you know, you quickly accommodate, you assimilate to, you quickly learn, you, it's like, you know, your, your instincts to survive, right? Your survival instincts kick into gear. And, Did you um, speak any English at all when you came here? So my dad had us take private lessons of English when we were in Belgium. So we had a tutor that came to school, to our house twice a week since for maybe six years before we moved but you know just like when I'm sure you guys all learned like a second language in school right I mean like you learn it with your you you know but you don't practice it outside of lesson your lesson and so you it was it wasn't very good (laughs) (laughs) we were very lost when we came here um but you know when you're 12 and 14 you learn really quick language I mean language was really easy for us to learn like within six six months we were pretty fluent just because we were completely immersed every day we were in school we didn't have a choice we had to figure it out so so the the we had some basic knowledge but it wasn't you know fluency by any means but figured it out yeah wow so So, so,
0: yeah and so your dad's here with the this curler that he invented
3: yeah so i don't know if you guys remember and you still have those the curlers we have a rubber band right when you would do a perm and the rubber band marks the hair. All right. so that's always was bad when you did perm because you you were always struggling struggling to avoid the band mark so he invented a curler called vario curler and the vario curler is a curler that interlocked together on the side so it had two wheels and then basically that stuck out beyond the diameter of the curler and be and basically when you brought the curlers together you could snap them into each other similar to like a lego lego concept and there was no band So one curler attached to the one in front, et cetera. And then when you wanted to do brick lining, then we had special little adjustments, little things that you could put on top, never mark the hair, but the curler could also be by itself. It didn't have to be with the one in front. So anyways, that's what we came to America with, with our hair curlers. So That's pretty cool, uh, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful
1: that I missed the perm error, but you know, it's still pretty cool.
3: <laughs> Actually, you know, the, we're getting people who are like, so through social media going, hey, do you have any more of those barrier curlers? So my <laughs> brother and I, my brother and I are looking at like, what? Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> so, so huh? Did he have a patent on him? Did he? Yeah." Yeah. Oh, sweet. yeah that's awesome Pat- patents are 17 years though you know they expire Oh, all yeah. Right. Yeah. but but still sometimes it's the know-how of how to manufacture it or, or the fact that you know some people just aren't interested in the category until it becomes really hot again but yes we had a patent on it and so we moved to america to sell our hair curlers but nobody knew who we were so uh the business was out of the house uh and uh you know the the garage was the warehouse Mm -hmm. um I always laugh that my mom was a, one of the first uh, eco-friendly person because she would go to the grocery store and she would ask them for paper bags. This is the 80s. And they're like, paper bags? Okay. And the reason is because she found a way to be able to open them up at the seams and then repackage them the other way so that the, the, the writing from the shopper, like from the store, would be on the inside. But on the outside, it was just brown paper. So she could use it to wrap up the orders because we were selling individual kits to hairdressers. Wow. So she could use it so we wouldn't have to go buy paper to wrap the product in because we could get it from the grocery store by unwrapping the bag so anyways uh you know you do what you need to do you you to all the garage sales which are fun at the beginning and get kind of old after a while because that's the only place you can buy stuff um, and uh you know you you just uh i remember my dad bought a uh he bought a lawn blower because we We didn't have those in Belgium. I thought it was really neat, but he found out that it could also suck things in. It could blow and suck. So he bought it thinking my mom could use it for um, both inside and outside, you know, for vacuuming. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> then, we re- then we learned that in America, you can do refunds, which is really cool concept, which in Belgium, you don't know. You can't, but anyways, <laughs> so some of the, you know, some just funny stories of when we moved, you know, there were some very hard times and there were some really fun times, but it brought our family really close together because, you know, at the time, so my dad had this Belgian office with lots of staff that he had to he had people running in place but he still needs to keep an eye on them but now he's here there's no email no cell phones the only way to communicate is through fax so luckily we bought a fax, which was a big investment, but it let us put a piece of paper in America and basically in Belgium, it popped up on their other end with some written instructions with a nine hour time change. When you're trying to manage your team or want to talk to your team, it's really hard with nine hours time difference. So being able to write your instructions down and at least get them started when they first get up in the morning, you know, it's, they might get to the office and it's one o'clock in the morning, you're hopefully maybe sleeping, so they can get some instructions, and then if you get up early enough, you know, you get to work with them for a bit of time, and then, you know, you um, you work with them, with the U.S. people, and then, you know, you start again the next day. So, we had a fax machine, which was how we communicated to our Belgium team. Um, so, my dad needed two things. He needed a secretary, and he needed a, a accountant. So, who did he look to? He says, I have two children. they um, <laughs> they're pretty smart uh I'm sure they could do it so um I had always wanted to be my dad's secretary so when I since I was a little girl and we would always hang out in my dad's building office in Belgium I saw ladies forming around him waiting to take his instructions right they had shorthand they would do meetings they had paper it sounded so fancy to me I just wanted to be a secretary so I had taught myself how to type of course, the typewriters in Belgium and in America don't have the keys in the same order because that would be too easy. <laughs> right. Anyways, I had taught myself to type because I had only a hope that one day I could be a secretary. So he's like, you've always liked to be a secretary. Why don't you be my secretary? And my brother then was left to be the accountant. So, uh, and then my mom to do everything else, answer the phone, ship the orders out, you know, whatever we needed to be done. So... Um, During the day, my dad would write all his instructions on paper, so to his team, and then when I came home from school, I would have a stack of paper waiting to be, uh, with his instructions, I would type them up, and then that's why we would fax to the Belgium office at at night. And then my brother, he uh, figured out how to do, how accounting works, my dad gave him a little bit of uh, instructions, and then so he became the accountant. And that was our daily structure from the time that we moved to America all the way up until we went to college. So, um,
1: yeah. So uh, that's
0: incredible.
1: It is pretty incredible. I, it, so when you were in, but when you were in Belgium, you were just like a regular kid after yeah. school, you could go out and play and stuff. And now you come yes. to the, you come to the States and now like, <laughs> instead of play, it was like, uh, and it's time to go to work. Yeah. This is one-on-one girl. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. So, you know, um, so I thought, well, you know, first of all, I mean, it's like, again, it's your survival instincts. We could tell our parents needed our help. We weren't about yeah. to be like, oh no, my friends are out having a good time. I, I don't want to do this. You know, we were like, we got to do it. Everybody, we all have to eat. We all have to, you know, so we gladly helped out. Honestly, it wasn't like even a, a second thought, yeah, but and yes. On,
0: on that, so that note, it's, one of her dreams is coming true <laughs> to be a secretary. <laughs> to be her dad's secretary. <laughs> that's, that's it, right? right? Yeah. So right.
1: You know what? I gotta, I, I, yeah. I, I gotta add this too, because you know when, when people are listening to this, they're not gonna be able to see it. But when you're telling that story about being a secretary, like she's literally glowing. Yeah, right? like it's the proudest
0: <laughs> thing she's ever done in her life. Man. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell she's reminiscing about her pops. Right. Yeah. That that's awesome.
3: Yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you. So besides that, we also, you know, my parents found out about trade shows. And they're like, well, if, if hairdressers are going to find out about our curlers, remember, we're still trying to sell our curlers here that nobody knows about. There's no internet. So we have ads in Modern American Salon Magazine. But what else can we do? Well, we got to go to trade shows. So we find out which are the trade shows in America. And so again, they need more hands on deck at the shows too. So they take us out of school. You know, the Long Beach show, the New York show, the um, Chicago show, and a few others that I have, Gone now, but uh, a few other shows that we would do to go ahead and so we would, you know, drive or fly depending on where it was. Set up the show, set up the booth, work the trade show. Of course, do your homework. You know that mm-hmm. the teacher gave you while you were gone because they all thought it was, you know, vacation. I'm like, I'm not going on vacation. <laughs> I'm going to work. But they're like, okay, sure, whatever. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then, um, and then you know, and then come back as soon as possible so we could get back to school. So, um doing trade show was a great opportunity to talk to hairdressers and to learn to not be shy and to learn to just, you know, speak to random strangers and try to get people to come to the booth to, to hear what we had to say. Um, so that was, there was a really great opportunity to, because obviously trade shows is a huge part of our industry and I love doing them. I love connecting with the hairdressers and I love being able to still, to this day, hear what they're saying, whether they like something or don't like something about us. It's so important for me to know. I love the the accolades and how much they, they love us. that's wonderful, but if anybody has a challenge or something, I also want to know so I can either take care of it on the spot or bring it back to my team and say, "You know, I heard a couple of people say this. Let's look into it, so you know it's uh, trade shows is still one of the last few ways that we can connect. I know we have Instagram, which has definitely helped people reach out to us and be able to tell us what they want to say, but there's nothing like the trade shows, which is a really cool experience so mm. Mm. at what point did you like?
1: at what point did young Anne go, Oh, we're going to make it. Like, was there at this point when you guys came to the U S and like, cause cause I'm kind of like imagining like, you know, you were confident in your dad, but there had to be a little bit of doubt there too. Like, are oh, we going to make it. And you, like you said, you, you plan on going back to Belgium at 16. So, right. you know, so was there a point where you're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. Yeah. When she took over. <laughs> <laughs>
3: wait <laughs> <laughs> so when no no yeah. obviously yeah that's no, a good point it's
0: a good point it was it before or after college did you guys uh obviously your brother was probably already in college because he's two years older than you you're going off to college did you guys have a team then or did the parents like oh man you know yeah off to college and now it's just it's only a high. few years it's, it's only four years before she was right. saying From is it just, college? Yeah. just me and you now
1: <laughs>
3: Yeah. So, so that's a great point. So um, it was really hard for my dad to develop the business a lot in the U S by constantly having to also manage the European, like there was a lot going on and being here in America gave him some good opportunities in Europe. He became the master distributors of a few U S brands that wanted to get distribution in Europe because they didn't have a way to get into Uh Europe. But now they met this guy at these shows who is in 13 countries There were 13 currencies because we didn't have the the euro, 13 languages, which is still there, obviously, you know, 13 customs. I mean, if you wanted like customs in terms of getting your goods in, if you wanted to get to sell in Europe, it was really complex. But hey, I met this guy. And now if I want to sell my books, my styling books, for example, in Europe, I could sell to him. I can talk to him in America whenever he gets it. I ship it to Belgium and he takes care of the rest of the distribution. So actually being in America opened up some doors for my dad in Europe because of this unique situation. So being the businessman, he seized on that opportunity and decided to, you know, to run with it. And so he started bringing some brands in Europe and getting that distribution up and running which made him having to focus more on Europe than in America, because the opportunity was now, now was when these opportunities were in front of him. So it was really hard for them to develop the business. Like we did once my brother and I were here full, t- we back full time from college because they had this great opportunity in Europe. So they kind of started growing the European business a little bit more remotely, even though my dad was going back and forth all the time mm-hmm. because an opportunity came and he seized it. So, the business when we went away to college. So my dad said, "You know, now there's computers. I can type my own stuff." Which, you know, I'm like, "Okay, dad, it kills me because you know I use all ten fingers, and he uses two fingers down and all eight <laughs> up." Two down, eight up.
0: <laughs> <that's awesome. laughs> but,
3: I really wanted to get, you know, I worked really hard to get into college because, you know, and once you, once you have all these obstacles put in front of you, you move to a country, you don't speak the language, you, you, you hear these other kids saying they're going to go to college. You're like, well, I want to go to college, you know, but it's really hard. Like, well, your grades have to be good. Then you got to take this SAT score. Then you got to, and it, you don't know how any of it works and you have to figure it all out. It wants you. And if that's something you want to do, you like then it makes you want it even more, right? So once I did get into college and I got into, you know, my dream school, then I was like, I want to go. Like, I'd love to stay back and help because, my dad always said you can learn, you know, you can learn anywhere. You don't have to go to college. My parents didn't go to college, you know, and they are been very successful, but you have to, you know, make good use of your time. So, uh, but I'm like, I really want to try to get that formal education and see what I could bring back to the business from it. So luckily, you know, the business was in a place where, and my parents would have not kept us from, you know, they wouldn't have said, don't go to college. You have to stay here. Right. Like, you know, that's what you want to do. They did say, are you sure you want to go? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, so it was just my parents, and then they had one other employee at the time that was there to help out um and they kind of made do until until we came back did
1: your did your brother um did he uh did he go to like uh do
3: an accounting program in college? No, so my brother is extremely smart, super super smart, so he actually has a degree in theoretical physics.
2: Cause Whoa.
3: that's, yeah, I'd say he's too smart for his own good. <laughs> <laughs> Is he still with the company now? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So awesome. we balance, we balance each other out super well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what did you go to college for?
3: So I, I double majored in business and finance.
1: Yeah. So, hmm. so you became the accountant.
3: Well, I actually, so he's still, managed, no, so I did finance and marketing, uh, but marketing was my passion. I did finance because I uh, I was told that it would be good to have, you know, the, well, I wasn't sure what my brother's plans were going to be, you know, like I knew I wanted to be back in the business, but my brother was getting a theoretical physics degree and he right. maybe was going to be in academia, you know, maybe he's going to be a professor or a scientist or a researcher. So I he wanted to- end up with NASA. I know. <laughs> <All> right? <laughs> But, um, so I just wanted to make sure that I could understand, you know, the books and stuff like that. Right. I mean, you can always have people to do it for you, but you need to ultimately. So I thought it would be good to have a good balance. Marketing was my passion, but, uh, finance was also great to know and to learn. So, um, my brother went, got his degree, did an extra year in college because he, he went to Germany and did a whole year in German in theoretical physics because it's just how bright he is. And then it came back. So we graduated a year apart because he took an extra year. And so then he decided that before he continued to get a, you know, the next thing, which is a master's and a PhD, he was actually going to give the family business a try. And so, and he actually never, never went back. Um, I always wanted to, to work in the business. So, you know, as soon as I was done, I was right back in it. So.
1: Was there an expectation um, that, that he would take over the
3: business? No, so actually there was no expectation that any of us, that either of us, even though we had grown up and helped, you know, quite a bit, uh, you know, with the starting in the United States, for me it was uh, six years for my brother, it was four years since he was two years older than me, um, there was no expectation that we had to come back, not at all. My parents were, very, stri- were very, very straightforward from the beginning that you should only work in a family business if you absolutely love it. Don't do this to make us happy. Don't do this because you think it's you you owe us or it's your obligation. You only do this if that's what you want to do. So they really instilled that in us, which, which is really important that I would definitely share that with anybody and I will with my children should they at all be interested. It's just because you do this, when you love what you do, you're doing it every day you know, all day. Uh, of course you take days off, but I mean, just saying is like, it's, it's not an eight to four thirty job, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you do it, you just do it. You do it without realizing you're doing it because it's mm-hmm. just what you love to do. And so you can't be, I think as successful, I'm not saying you can't be successful, but you can be as successful and maybe as happy, um, I think ultimate bliss is really finding like, if you want to work a job that you just love, you know, a passion for you because then it's not a job. It's like not working. I'm uh, mm-hmm. sure you have hard days. You definitely have hard days sure. and, and stuff, but it's like, you don't regret it. So that was really important to them that we only did this if we wanted to do it and um, if we loved it. And, and luckily we both enjoy the work very much. And, and that is what we wanted to do, but we, there was no obligation whatsoever. They could have, you know, at some point sold it or, or whatever, folded right. it, or whatever they wanted to do.
1: Did your did your parents, um, were, were they able to retire out of the business or how'd that work? Like, like when you, like when you and your brother took over, you know, the business full time, like, was that because they retired out of it?
3: Okay. So, <clears throat> First of all, I think when you start, and this is going to be me, I'm sure. But when you start a business (laughs) like them, you're never out. (laughs) You never (laughs) want to be out.
1: Isn't there a godfather quote about that? Every time I try to leave, they pull me back in.
3: (laughs) I I think it's part of your, honestly, it's part of your DNA. Like you want to know, you want to be involved in some way, right? You want Mm -hmm. to just keep your feet wet. So you just know what's going on, even if it's just, you know, knowing what's going on, but not really being involved. So, the transition happened over a very long, so once my brother and I committed, or said, we, this is what we want to do, and we confirmed it to our parents, then they said, okay, what we need to do is we need to start transitioning the knowledge that we have to you. We don't know how long we have. We could be hit by a bus tomorrow, and that could be it, and you guys are left with, you know, holding the bag and trying to figure everything out. We've obviously had acquired a lot of knowledge. You know, looking back, six years of typing my dad's instructions to his employees, customers, vendors, lawyers, you know, whoever he was working with, I got to read what he was saying. And then I would, you know, know what they were saying back. And so my entrepreneurship really started when I started typing, I was typing to help out. But ultimately, I assimilated all of that information that he was giving them. So I already had got a nice glimpse of you know, the business in that respect, but there was still so much we didn't know. So they wanted to make sure that even if they stepped away officially 30 years later, that at least they could transfer the data or the information as much as they could, as soon as they could, in case we didn't have the luxury of time. Looking back, we have had the luxury of time. My parents are still around and they're, they're a great part, you know, of our life and of Olivia Garden, but they didn't know. We didn't know that we had this much time. We were very fortunate. So my dad said, okay, every day we're going to do a lesson. We're going to, you guys are going to sit down and I'm going to teach you something. So remember he was a school teacher. So he was actually a very good school teacher. So I'm sure he spent a lot of time prepping for the lessons we were going to have. I'm sure he had some sort of lesson plan, whatever. I'm not sure because we just showed up and we, we <laughs> listened and took our own notes, but looking back, if I had to do it, I'm sure there was a lot of work that went into prepping for it. And so every day we got an hour lesson. We, we capped it off at an hour, you know, cause we thought we had to go to work, but we started off with an hour of him telling us whatever he wanted us to know for the day. And so we, that went on for, for a few years. And so over time we had that slow, you know, knowledge that transferred into my brother and I. And so then, That was step one of his master plan because my dad is a visionary and always had a very much of a, he was the business guy, always had a plan, like how are we going to, you know, short-term, mid-term, long-term, we all need plans, no matter how big or small your business is. So then after that, then he took him, he said, okay, I'm no longer coming to the office. I'm going to work, but I'm going to work from home. By now we had a few employees. We have several employees. He says, I don't want, I don't want you guys coming to me just because I'm there. I want you guys to try to figure things out when I'm not there, right? If you need me, just call, but try to figure it out first on your own. So physically removing himself from our, from our environment was step two, right? So that he was still working, fully working, but at least not there for everybody or us to go and ask him questions. And then we would go to him if we just didn't know what to do, or we want to get a a second, a third opinion.
1: It's also kind of genius too, that, um, By removing himself out of there, out of the out of the actual office, now the other employees have to rely on you, and now and now they have to see you as like, I mean, I don't want to use the word boss, but essentially, you know, the person to reach right. out to. Because if he was in the building, then he inadvertently cut your legs out all the time.
3: Right, right. Even if he told them, you know, go see them. I mean, it's still you know the presence, and he's pretty like a powerful presence just his being, you know. Uh, so. Um, he removed himself and worked, still worked, you know, 12 hour days, but from home. Right. So that, so he was fully involved and it. And then little by little started cutting back on his work. Um, and uh, now, you know, doesn't he still works you know he's he 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 thinks about new product ideas he dreams the last the last part is like product development because it's not an everyday thing I mean it is for my team and I it's an everyday thing but for him he's thinking about what could be ideas that I could bring to the table at least to get a conversation going and so that kind of thing he loves to also you know hear about our our plans you know my brother and I our long-term plans well mid short-term mid-term long-term plans for the company like he and then he and then he'll be thinking he's like you know what i was online shopping yesterday and i thought about this or whatever you know he's constantly like giving us his take his idea but he ultimately he lets us make that decision like you know i'll tell pierre my brothers pierre i'll say you know dad said this you know i what do you, I, what do you think i think this I, you know so we, we we his ideas have extra extra um stars around them <laughs> but, <laughs> but ultimately pierre and i decide what we do Right. Because ultimately we own the, the decision and he might not be, my dad might not be as in touch with the day to day. He is not. So he might not get the nuances of why that idea is good or bad because he's not in the day to day business.
0: What a great lesson and legacy to give and leave your children.
1: Dude, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like I'm just kind of blown away by how like he's removed his ego out of it, you know, cause you know, once you've built something from, from, you know, from the first wig that he went to China to find, to till today like every step of the way it hasn't been an ego drive you know it's been mm. like like how can how can and, and he even tried to i mean i'll sp- I'll speak for Ann and she'll shut me up in a sec but like i mean she they they kind of even talk to kids that are not taking over the business right in a weird way like right. like if you want to do this that's cool but don't feel obligated to do this so even even that conversation you're removing your ego out of
0: it and then when he comes to a, you know and say okay if this is what you want to do I'm going to give you this, and, and he coaches them how to do it in their way. Wow, he should write a parenting book. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's awesome. So, I, I want to back up a little bit. So, when, so when you guys went from curler to like, like, how did the rest of the business evolve? How did you guys get into tools? And like, did you get into hot tools right away? Did you get kind of into brushes right away? What What was the progression of that?
3: Yeah. So 1985, we've got one curler. Then, you know, a few more curlers come along, Um, longer one called spiral curlers for spiral curls and then oval shaped ones and different shapes. So the curler trend lasted quite a bit. Then we got into um, self gripping curlers called jet set. So it looks like a, um, like what's called with what people refer to like a Velcro curler that has a Velcro cloth that's attached to it. Well, again, because we don't do anything like anybody else and all our products are unique and different and bring something better to the stylist. We came up with a Jet Set curlers, which is a curler that has little teeth on it that acts like self-gripping, but doesn't have the cloth that can get wet and can come off the, the curler like the glue comes off and you could use it for perming and it had a whole thing. And that in the, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s was really hot. We were selling them by container loads. That was really, really great part of our business. It was called Jet Set. Then we came up with a night curl, a version for sleeping, blah, blah, blah. And then in the mid-90s, we, the curlers trend started to go down. And that's because people were starting to use brushes to style their hair rather than curlers. Like more because of Friends.
0: Right? <laughs> the, the show Friends.
3: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. actually jennifer aniston you know with her look had definitely you know the look that you could achieve with the curlers, right there it was becoming less curls but it was still body right it was that that look but friends absolutely was a, actually a huge impact on the society uh on styling and so then uh we got into making brushes but by then we that we realized like what was on the market again what was on the market was not we felt there were plenty of brushes right you you not like 1990s didn't have hairbrushes, but we felt that we could bring to the equation a product that was a higher quality than what was available in the market. At the time in the 90s, there was a real quality issue with brushes. They were falling apart very quickly, especially thermal brushes at the neck, at the cap. And we saw an opportunity for us taking our know-how and also our care for the industry and our dedication to quality to bring up a, a brush line that was much, that came with a lifetime warranty against manufacturer's defects, which at the time was unheard of. And so the brush basically was not glued together. It's called a the pro thermal brush, which we still sell to this day. And it was basically mechanically put together. So there was no glue that could come apart and then the barrel just popped out. That's how, that's why the, they were so weak before. So we changed the way that brushes are made so um, that they were much longer lasting. And that really gave us an entree into the brush category by having a product that was just far superior in quality than anything else that was available at the, market
1: at the time. I want, I want to go dissect a brush now, you know, mm-hmm. cause I remember, I remember like, like I, like I joked at the beginning, like, you know, I'm notorious for burning up brushes, but I remember like, you know, you would spin it and then all of a sudden you got like an empty handle and like a little, a little <laughs> the roller there with, with the glue, remember yeah. the yellow glue oh. that, that was outside the brush. I mean, that happened. And you know, what's funny is like, I just yeah. was like, well, time to replace the brush again. You know, it was like every six months you were like, you were, you know, pulling the glue right off, right. The, right off the brush. And I guess, I mean, to your point, I guess you start heating up that, um, you start heating up that glue and of it's, course. uh. And yeah, the it's
0: tension and over uh-huh.
3: time with the tension from the brush. And the know, barber side. It's, yeah, a, it's a formula for disaster. But at the time, that's I've, that's the only way that existed to make brushes. So we went to the drawing board and we said, huh, if we're going to get into brushes. We can't be getting brushes like this at break. There's got to be a, you know, so again, to this day, that's always what it is. We have to have a product. That has a point of difference with what's on the market there. Otherwise, we won't even touch that category because there's no point for us. We don't get excited about just oh, it's just like everybody else is. Right. No, no, no. There's got to be something that's really cool about it. That's where we get so excited to talk about our product. And I think that's why stylists also get excited because they actually notice the difference when they're using them. And so that's that's kind of that's kind of mission accomplished for us. So we came up with a different way to make brushes, and um, and that just sets us off, you know, into. It wasn't easy. I mean, the market was saturated with very well-known brands with with very strong relationships. Um, The distributorships were all owned, you know, individuals. They weren't big corporates like now, corporations like now for the most part. And so they had a very strong relationship with who they were buying brushes from. And we were the new kid on the block and it was Mm -hmm. hard to get that shelf space. I mean, I was like, just give me eight inches. I just need eight (laughs) inches. You're not going to regret it. You know, but... But I you was guys like, always been the new
0: kid on the block, and you, and yeah. and and putting you in that type of corner, you just guys just seem to excel. Yeah, no doubt.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it may again. I think it's that survival mode of having moved here and like trying to figure it out. Like, we don't, we don't give up. You know, I mean, if somebody says no and they have no valid reason, you keep going. You know, if they say no and and they have a valid reason, maybe try to see if you can overcome it or maybe you can't. I'm not saying we always get people to change their mind, but, you know, it just gives you fuel. Nothing's easy in life. You know, I mean, that's, that's just a reality for any of us in anything we do. But if you enjoy the process of working towards achieving whatever it is you want to achieve, then when you get in there, you know, you've enjoyed the process and you enjoy the, the achievement. I mean, it's a win-win all around. So, yeah, we've been in the new block when we've come up with brushes. Then you get on the block when we came up with shears, uh, when we came up with our appliances. You know, it's just every time it's like, well, we've got enough of those. Well, yeah, but let me tell you about this. So, yeah, and time and perseverance. You got to go at it, you know, and all this applies to a stylist, you know. You might be a new salon or a new stylist, you know, nothing's going to come easy, but once you once so work hard, but added, but with a plan, but once you achieve it, I mean, it's it's just amazing, but hopefully you've enjoyed getting there as well.
1: How long have you and your brother, um, I don't know, I I don't know how to say this because dad's still in the picture, but been in control, so to speak.
3: Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look at when when we move buildings because my dad didn't have an office in that one building. So uh, 2005, I think, is when we got that other building. No, 2000. So I think uh, 15 years fully in charge. 15 years now. Yep. 15 years. Did
1: you and did did it feel like for you and your brother? I guess you can't speak for your brother, but you can speak for you like when you moved in and your dad's office wasn't there, was it like moving into a new house? Like, okay, this is me. This is all me now. Like, 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 like I'm in control now. Was it, did you ever have that moment to where like, uh, I'm the boss babe now? Yeah.
3: So, you know, there was a moment. So of course my brother and I own the business 50 50, you know, so I'm the boss babe. He's, they are the boss. <laughs> but, uh, the boss dude. He's the boss, <laughs> boss bro. <dude. laughs> uh, but um
1: with the PhD, <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, oh, he's too smart. But what I what I realized at one point, I think so. I would do the photo shoots, right? So a lot. Okay, so before we got to be where we are now, where I have people doing th- lots of people in many different departments doing things for for Olivia Garden, you know, we were smaller staff, so. I had an outside graphic agency, right? And they would charge me, I don't know, $100 an hour to do things, right? Graphic design. And it was expensive for us. And I would sometimes sit next to them and say, well, why don't you move the logo over here? Let's change this to a different color. And, you know, all they were doing was moving the things on the computer. And I was kind of like giving them guidance. And so I came home one day to my dad and I said, you know, if we could get a computer and the software, I, I I think I can teach myself to do it. And It won't be as good as the professionals, but we'll save so much money by me doing the graphic design. And then later on, we can always figure it out, right? So I started doing that. I started doing the graphic design, and then I started running the photo shoots um, and so that we can customize things for our customers and offer more services and all of that in terms of, you know, you want to buy our product, but you want your name on it so we could do those kind of things, which our competitors weren't doing. Um, And I was at a photo shoot, and I was thinking... I was looking at the picture and the photographer, you know, would tell me like, you know, are you, are you good? Are we shooting? This is Polaroid. Like you take a Polaroid, you wait for it to uh, dry and, and then you would look at it. And if you were good to go, then you would go to the real camera. I mean, people listening to this might not realize what it was like, but the camera would actually scan. It would be like, and that's how you got a high resolution image. It wasn't a snap and that was done and you saw it on the computer. You would scan it and maybe 15 minutes later, you got to see what it was like on the computer. So you don't shoot now like, you know, a thousand pictures and one of them will work out. You did a Polaroid, you did a few Polaroids. And then once you know they look good, you went for the big old scan. So he was asking me if it was good. We were good to pull the trigger, and I thought, well, I wonder if my dad would like this. Like, is this good for my dad? And then I thought, that's the moment. I remember the moment where I'm like, you know what, I need to call the shots. I can't be thinking, what does he is he gonna like this? Is he gonna think this is good enough? Right? Have I? I'm like, I need to be able to make that call myself. So from that moment on, it was not about, you know. It, it just was a shift for me. It, and it was like, I need, you know, ultimately I'm the one that needs to make sure that this is okay. And it was just a lot easier to make decisions when you can you know, like, I like it, or I don't like it rather than, Oh, I hope that person is going to like it. Or I'm trying to get something that someone else, I think someone else wants. Right. So that's when I, I realized it. I was like, this is, and then it made things a lot easier it made things a little bit more maybe stressful because now I was the one making the decisions that, you know, were good or bad. So I definitely have learned to, you know, take a, take a big moment in my decisions making, like trying to really look at every aspect of when I make a decision, like it's not because it's my idea that it's the best idea. I bounce it off as many people as I can here at the company or even outside of it. I try to, think I always have a plan B, like, okay, we're going to make this investment, but if it doesn't work out, we could still use it for this, or there's still, like, a way to save it kind of thing, you know? Uh,
0: that's that's incredible. So, so, okay, so you and your brother took over about 15 years ago. At yeah. one point, you sit down with each other and say, you know what, we need to not necessarily rebrand, but we need to right. re- remarket, rebrand. But to let people know that it's still the same superior product without, you know, because a lot of times if you rebrand and it looks different, they think automatically the product's different, right? Right. So how do you, how do you change that, but yet continue to let them know it's still the same superior product?
3: Yeah. So when we when we hired our first, you know, and she's now still our, our director, but when, when we hired our, our, you know, the person that could fully take over the uh, my what I was doing graphic design, you know, which I'm like, I cannot t- do this anymore. But also, I'm not that good, you know, compared to professional. She came in and we talked about redesigning the logo that my parents had you know, the logo worked for them, but I didn't think that it worked moving forward, and so, you know, that's one of the first things that she tackled, being like that was her, you know, expertise, like she was a professional, she could do that, and so from that, we sprung, you know, a new, a new kind of uh, marketing, and a new, so basically, we want to, we wanted to tell our our story in a in a relatable way. I think part of what's helped is the social media, the new way we can communicate with, with you guys, with stylists, with uh, you know, we can tell a much easier story now. Before, again, you could talk at the shows and you can do ads in the magazine and then you get PR. Maybe they might interview you, maybe not, but it was really hard to get to know a brand Um, until I really, the advent of social media, social media has given us a huge platform to be able to tell our story about our product, but, and also about our story, you know, kind of like what we're doing today. And at first, you know, we talking about ourselves and our, and our journey and our story is not something that comes like naturally to us. You know, it's not like we've, we've been kind of raised to like, you put your head down, you work hard. And you know you do everything good for the company um you don't really it's not about you it's not a you know it's you don't really talk about yourself right I mean yeah, we've worked hard, we've suffered whatever but that's it doesn't matter and so it's always been about the product, so we always talked about the product and 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 then now we're realizing that you know it might be good for people to know that there's a like a family behind this, and then there's like a a human story that maybe a lot of people can relate to behind um, behind Olivia Garden. And we're not a, a huge conglomerate. We do want to project an, a picture of being like really big company because, mm-hmm. you know, people do have like this feeling that they want to associate with big company, but we're, we're a small family owned business run by the second generation and we're extremely hands-on. So we also want to walk a fine line that they don't think we're a big corporation with shareholders and people who don't care, you know, so so i think that you know trying to get our our mess our product out there and then now also a message about um what the company is and how we do things and and what we stand for is is part of i think what you guys are on the receiving end and seeing seeing us you know
1: i mean again just to reiterate what i was saying at the beginning i'm just i'm just so I love your product so much. You know, uh-huh. um and it, it's really really cool. And I'm 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 glad that they have a social media presence cuz that's probably why they are back
0: on my radar, right? Right. Yeah. So exactly. I, what, what was your dad's reaction when you said, "Hey, Dad, uh, we want to change the logo." Was thinking the same thing? You say, hey. know? <laughs> uh
3: you know, again, my dad has had to learn to or just he lets go, right? I mean, I always love at the beginning he'd say, "You know, you guys' decision because ultimately it's your money and so i made me oh my god (laughs) two newborn children and i'm like oh my god a mortgage and i'm just like pierre what do you i mean i think this is a good idea right you still think so he's like yeah i'm like okay but you know that was that's my dad he's like you know it's your decision it's ultimately and he's always been like mistakes are okay mistakes Mm. are actually good you know, Mm, two things he's taught us is mistakes are good, but you better take away something from it, right? Because you don't want to keep making the same mistake over and over again. A a big mistake is to not learn something from a mistake. So that's, you make a mistake, learn from it and move on. And the second Mm. thing he's always told us is never, ever, ever think you've arrived. Like, don't get complacent. Don't think we got this, like, don't be, like, self-doubting, of course. Like, oh, my God, I'm not sure what I'm doing. No, you have to have that confidence that I know which way we're going. But don't think, like, you know, we got everybody else beat. We're the king of the world. Nobody can touch us. Never think that because that's when you start to lose your edge. So, you know, self-confidence is fine. But, you know, you can't have, like, too much of it too. the thinking. That can be dangerous. And how much do you – um? I mean, you've mentioned it,
1: but, but can you, can you give us like real time or or, or real value in how much you're spending with, uh, with hairdressers and and, and when, when you guys are like creating a product, like, Mm. like, what are you guys doing to like, literally get in there and be like, Hey, hairdresser what do you need?
3: Yeah. So we have a focus group that meets with different people. Uh, We have every, about every two months. We have a focus group here at our office. So we have a group of about twenty-five stylists that comes in. There are some that are the sa- There are some people that come every time because they just love the process. But we mm-hmm. also get new faces because we want to continue to get different uh, opinions. And p- people's schedules are different. Not everybody can always make it, anyways. And we get hairdressers here together every two months, and we talk we we usually have an agenda, like we plan on asking them about a certain topic. So at least we have, you know, a reason to come together, but then it often goes into different directions. But um, we get, so that's one thing we do. We get hairdressers here. Um, uh about every other month so we can talk about the industry we can talk about what they're seeing what they're needing and then of course run by them ideas of what we're thinking a lot of ideas is like okay well that was that that didn't work out but uh Mm -hmm. that's okay because you know we want to make sure that we're on the right track so but then a lot of course several of them make it to to fruition and become an actual product so that's one thing we have an educational team of about 20 or so different educators now. And so I'm I'm constantly like talking to them about different things. Again, for them, I might be able to, like, I might pick up and be like, hey, you know, I want to send you a razor. Can you test it for me real quick? Can you tell me if it's sharp enough for you? You know, with my educators, I can get a little bit more uh, granular on the details because you know we, we have a longer relationship together but then there's a smaller pool of people so we want to make sure that when we're getting you know ideas out there they're cross sector across a larger group of people so we have our our dream team we call them the dream team which is um mm-hmm. the group focus group that comes uh, the og dream team every two every other month Then we have OG. our educators OG. OG. um uh, <laughs> I know. My parents had such foresight to know that OG would be original gangster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So American.
3: (laughs) I know. Um, So anyway, so my educators, um, and then, uh, of course, on on social media, you know, I – read what uh uh, hairdressers are saying and often respond myself personally although they don't know it sometimes (laughs) Mm -hmm. i never say who i am but uh and then um and then the shows of course at the at the shows and we have a few uh hairstylists on our staff as well
0: that's amazing so is there uh was there a point or maybe your dad hasn't uh and your mom hasn't said this to you yet because they don't want you to think that you've made it (laughs) but do they do they uh, ever say you know what you're so proud of you guys like
3: yeah yeah no yeah they do i mean you know life is is you know sometimes too short so you don't want to also uh you know you you never know what tomorrow brings right so if you have something positive to say you should also say it obviously um but yes they have told us multiple times that they're very proud of what we're doing um and you know we have we have double digit growth year over year. Uh, my mom says that's so awesome, and my dad goes, "Well, how are you going to keep that up? What's What's the plan for next year?" <laughs> but that's, uh, you know, uh, he's he knows how difficult it is to do that, and so he's always asking for the plan. But no, they're they're very proud of us, and. Um, and you know we're happy, we're we're proud of ourselves obviously because you know this isn't just it wasn't nothing was given to us it's all because of our hard work and our team obviously i talk about yeah. me and my brother but we have an amazing team of of extremely passionate uh, team members here and it's everybody's uh, contribution that's made um made us where we are today but um so we're proud of us proud of them and um everybody's proud of each other <laughs> which is cool <laughs> so we do say it Should because be. you don't know what you know you what tomorrow brings but uh yeah so where yeah. um where can hairdressers find your product
0: which or want to be on the og team how can they
1: yeah uh... <laughs> well both of those yeah yeah first let's find out where can i buy a brush
0: yeah
3: so uh, you can buy our brushes or hot tools, which we got into um, last year and continuing to grow that category, which is new for us, it, at um, Cosmoprof. Mm-hmm. um You can also find them at Salon Centric. But then we're also with hundreds of smaller distributors, you know, regional distributors across the country. So um, obviously too many to list, but pretty much right. most distributorship carry our product.
1: That's so awesome. And then, yeah, like Tony said, like, if you wanted to uh, apply to be on the OG team. Yeah. I
2: like that. Well, just, yeah. <laughs> I am um, an OG.
1: That's a shirt. Yeah, I am an OG.
3: <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you can uh, definitely email us, um, info at oliviagarden.com. So info, I-N-F-O at oliviagarden.com uh, is our general company mailbox. I happen to see every single message that comes into that because it comes directly to me. She just winked at us, wink. No, No, it's true Uh, because I want to see anything that's being said about the company, good or bad, um, and either address it right away or give it off to a team member to address if it's nothing urgent. But that means on the weekend, if something comes in that needs to be addressed, I can take care of it by having visibility on my mailbox. Um, Or they can also DM us um, through Instagram and then we can have a conversation that way, whatever's convenient. Yeah.
0: I, mean, I think you should have all your team members where I am, I am an OG. I am an OG. I know. I, like yeah. I love I that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I love it. I am an OG. Yeah,
3: you know, I'm an OG. Yeah. I, I know. It.
0: We're so
1: lucky
3: that, it, that it's so
1: but, cool. But it just <laughs> worked. I know, right? That's so funny. And yeah. honestly, dude, I'm in love with y- your product and I'm in love with you now. I, I just, yeah. a <laughs> cool story. I just, I love the immigrate, uh, the immigration story. Anyways, you know, it just yeah. it, it it, I I can't relate to it because you know I don't know my family's been here for a billion years, but you know <laughs> it, it's just it's just always very cool to me to to kind of watch that, that and just to kind of watch a, a When they talk about the
0: American dream or
3: yeah obviously, oh totally yeah, I mean it's yeah, so cool. I mean I feel so I mean I know I sound like but I feel so fortunate to have been. To have moved here and to have been able to live the American dream and so you're so fortunate for what the way America, I mean, I know the, the country is perfect, but you know, the, the way that it it rewards hard work Um, it's Mm -hmm. not like that everywhere else in the world and we're so fortunate to live here I mean it's you know looking back we were saying you know what do we think when we were 12 or 14 and so my mom didn't want to move but she didn't have a choice uh, because she was going to follow you know her kids we were just like okay whatever but now looking back all of us are so grateful that my dad you know was the one that said we're going to do this I mean he was he was forty two years old. You know, he had a successful company. He wasn't a young chicken either when he decided to make this big step. So, um, you know, looking back now, I mean, it's it's amazing to have been here because this country offers you some great opportunity if you're willing to work hard and you embrace it, you know, embrace the work. I mean, uh, it's you know, sky's the limit really. Mic
1: drop. Mic drop. And and Maza, right? <laughs> uh, thank you very, very, very much for joining us on your show.
3: Thank you, guys. It's been amazing to be
1: here. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually, since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review. On iTunes, i um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song. Pleased to meet you on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find actually you can you can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease.